This show is part of the Electric Agora network of podcasts. Welcome to Culture and Value. My name is Mark English. I previously made a claim about the greatest scientific thinkers, as I put it, mentioning René Descartes and Gottlob Frege as exemplars who meant a lot to me personally. I was drawing attention to the fact that these thinkers were motivated in large part by a genuine desire to know how the world is, to see the world truly. Like all scientists, both Descartes and Frege, recognised that this was no easy task. Descartes saw our passions or emotions, necessary and important for human functioning as they are, as needing to be managed and controlled. Clear thinking does not come naturally to us. Frege, I think, had a similar view, but his focus in his scientific work was on language, logic and mathematics rather than the mind as such. He respected ordinary language and in fact he used it beautifully, but he saw it as being ill-equipped to deal with certain scientific problems as indeed it is. Frege developed the basic ideas of the predicate calculus and his influence has been profound not just in logic and philosophy but also in computer science, cognitive science and linguistics. As a person, however, he is little known. He was an introvert and prone to self-doubt and possibly to depression. He had a dry wit, however, and seems to have inspired respect and affection amongst those who knew him. For many years, he taught mathematics at the University of Jena. As a young man, Wittgenstein travelled to Jena to talk to Frege, a man he admired and respected highly even referring to himself as Frege's disciple. And Bertrand Russell wrote this of Frege. As I think about acts of integrity and grace, I realise that there is nothing in my knowledge to compare with Frege's dedication to truth. Frege's public image was damaged when Michael Dummett publicised details of some private diary entries which he had come across and which had shocked him deeply. Arguably, Dummett had had an idealised image of Frege and overreacted. But Frege certainly did have some dubious personal views, especially when they are seen in the light of the subsequent development of Nazism in Germany. These diary jottings made not long before his death showed him to be in fundamental agreement with the views of the ultranationalist General Erich Ludendorff. Ludendorff came to believe that Jewish and other elements within Germany had been working behind the scenes with Germany's enemies during the Great War and that their interventions had turned the tide of the war and led to Germany's defeat. Ludendorff has a bad name, but it must be remembered that Frege died in 1925 and so was not responding to Ludendorff's later views or actions. He became, Ludendorff that is, became more extreme, I understand, and eccentric under the influence of his second wife, whom he married in 1926 after Frege's death. Ludendorff had dealings with Hitler, but he fell out with, with, with him. In January 1933, when President Hindenburg appointed Hitler as Chancellor, Ludendorff is said to have sent the following telegram to Hindenburg, I solemnly prophesy that this accursed man will cast our Reich into the abyss and bring our nation to inconceivable misery. Future generations will damn you in your grave for what you have done. The authenticity of this document has been questioned, but 
Ludendorff's strong disagreements over the years with Hitler are very well documented. My point really, however, is about Frege, not Ludendorff. We should be careful of imputing to all and every thinker who flirted with right-wing ideas in the early 1920s, of imputing to them the beliefs or intentions of those who supported or carried out the racially motivated atrocities of the 1930s and World War II. Being patriotic or having conservative tendencies or even having a weakness for conspiracy theories does not make one a Nazi or a fascist. At least Frege was consistent in his political views, whatever one thinks of them. A key point is that he, he endorsed patriotism as an unreasoning but desirable prejudice. Politics for him was fundamentally emotional. Frege wrote, only feeling participates, not reason, and it speaks freely with, without having spoken to reason beforehand for counsel. And yet at times it appears that such a participation of feeling is needed to be able to make, this, to make sound rational judgments in political matters. Now, there are two issues here. Um, one is contentious, one I think less contentious. The contentious issue is, is patriotism. Manifested as nationalism, it, it is obviously dangerous. But I would argue that an attachment to the culture within which one is raised is a good and natural thing. One's values necessarily come from that culture or elements thereof, though the cultural matrix in question may be characterised in, in various ways, of course. The less contentious part of what Frege was saying is the claim that at times a participation of feeling is needed to be able to make sound, rational judgments in political matters. Frege was keenly aware and famously wary of paradoxes. He knows that what he is saying seems paradoxical, that true rationality in political matters depends to some extent on feeling. The same applies in ordinary life, of course, ordinary day-to-day -day life. And, and the paradox is, is really only apparent. It's always a big mistake to attempt to apply purely scientific rationality to matters which depend on human values. That Frege saw this so clearly is a credit to his perspicacity and judgment, in my opinion. This is not, I hasten to say, an endorsement of his political judgments to the extent that we know what they were. What attracted me to Frege in the first place was the clarity of his thought about language. Though primarily a mathematician, he wrote about natural language and its relation to thinking without oversimplifying, without trying to fit our lived experience of thinking and speaking into a preconceived theory or framework. Though not a literary man, he wrote sensibly about literary fictions and imaginary worlds and characters. And though not a linguist or philologist, he had a sophisticated understanding of the workings and structures of natural language. Frege viewed thoughts in organic terms as, as organic wholes. This view is profoundly different from atomistic and empirical approaches which characterized much 20th century analytic philosophy. Consequently, Frege has often been misunderstood and misinterpreted, and it's only in recent decades, I think, that a clearer picture of his general views has begun to emerge. In this context, let me draw attention to a paper by Nikolai Milkov, M-I-L-K-O-V, 
entitled Frege and German Philosophical Idealism. Milkoff looks into Frege's intellectual background, the scholarly milieu in which he pursued his formative studies and early professional career. And what we find is that he was influenced deeply and had professional links with a number of philosophical idealists. He was also a colleague of the, of the biologist, evolutionary thinker and author Ernst Haeckel. The faculty at the University of Jena was organised in his early years there in, into three informal clubs, one of which was led by Haeckel. Frege was associated directly, not with Haeckel's group, however, but with um, a mathematically oriented group with links to philosophers influenced by Schelling and other German romantics. They met on Sundays, and Frege took these Sunday circle, me Sunday circle meetings very seriously. But it's, it's important to remember that he was at odds with his philosophical colleagues in that he always stressed discursive ex exactness and rejected the dialectical transitions of Hegelian metaphysics. Frege's ideas on logic were also different from those of his contemporaries. He directed his criticisms against those mechanical logicians, as he termed them, most notably George Boole, who considered thinking a process of pure calculation. Frege found that Boolean logic represents only a part of our thinking. The whole process can never be carried out by a machine or be replaced by a purely mechanical procedure. Milkov claims that Frege's approach is best seen as a kind of logical organicism. Like the German idealists, Frege regularly used biological metaphors in presenting his logical views. A judgment is an organic whole. A judgment is more than just a complex concept or aggregation of concepts. Frege routinely speaks in terms of seeds and kernels. Science must endeavour, he wrote, to make the circle of non-provable primitive truths as small as possible, for the whole of mathematics is contained in these primitive truths as in a kernel. Our only concern is to generate the whole of mathematics from this kernel. Frege's organicism lies at the heart of his thinking on mathematics, logic, language and thought, and also arguably on politics, but we'll leave that aside. In the light of his organicism, his ideas on meaning and truth become clearer. Thinking is the subject matter of logic, and thinking must be understood as something humans do, something which is embedded in human life. When we are awake, we cognitively react to the events and situations we find ourselves in. This involves making judgments, which involves not just free-floating thoughts, but also the truth value of those thoughts. We need to consider truth values because the thoughts relate to our circumstances in some way, sometimes in important ways. I see many of the problems philosophers have discussed about meaning as being pseudo-problems deriving from a false view of language and how it works. Frege avoided these problems because he never lost sight of our cultural embeddedness. Meaning derives from people using language, not from language per se. Some of the problems which have been raised about meaning and truth relate to literature and fiction more generally. Frege had a fairly straightforward way of dealing with these sorts of problems. 
the idealist philosopher and playwright Friedrich Schiller, whose works Frege was familiar with, wrote that life is serious, art is cheerful. Art is based on the human capacity for play. Echoing Schiller, Frege says that when we make a judgment in real life, we are serious. In other words, as Milkoff puts it, in real life, we know that matters have irreducibly practical impact and that ultimately our survival is at stake when it comes to judging matters correctly. In contrast, when we play, we are not serious in this sense. The truth value notion does not apply as language in this context does not mesh directly with real life and practical contingencies, but rather with an imagined world. Frege was and saw himself as a man of science, but he had a broad view of the sciences as knowledge-seeking activities, and he saw knowledge-seeking itself as a noble quest, partly practical, partly concerned with deepening our understanding of a deeply mysterious and living universe. As a thinker, Frege was influenced by Romanticism and philosophical idealism. And these ideas played key motivating roles for him, but his natural scepticism ensured that he was, in his professional and scientific work, never a captive, at least for long, of groundless metaphysical ideas. <laughs>